Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy to assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. The Guardian. Hello, this is Brexit Memes, The Guardian's weekly podcast, bringing you up to date with all the latest developments from Brexit land. This week, we'll be talking harsh words. In both London, or rather Manchester, and Brussels, or rather Strasbourg, and asking whether, behind the rhetoric and the seemingly immovable positions, things might just be starting to move. So, at the European Parliament in Strasbourg, a leading MEP called on Theresa May to sack her foreign secretary over his constant unhelpful interventions in the Brexit debate. The Parliament, which has a veto on the outcome of the talks, then voted overwhelmingly to censure the UK for its poor handling of the negotiations and to call on the EU's chief negotiator, Michel Barnier, to stand firm on the bloc's demands on money and on the indispensable role of the European Court of Justice in overseeing any agreement. It's point man on Brexit, Guy Verhofstadt, the European Commission President Jean-Claude Juncker and Barnier himself all then lined up to criticise the government, pointing to serious convergences, not just between the UK and the EU, but seemingly also within Theresa May's cabinet. Meanwhile, in Manchester, where the Prime Minister's Conservative Party is holding its annual conference, Britain's three Brexiteers, that's the Foreign Secretary Boris Johnson, Brexit Secretary David Davis and International Trade Secretary Liam Fox, united in a bold rallying cry to the faithful, proclaiming that yes, the process might get tricky, but in the end, it would be worth it. It's time to stop treating the referendum result as if it were a plague of boils, cried Johnson. Without pain and doubt and anxiety, there can be no pleasure, no triumph and no success. Fox, for his part, blamed the EU for the fact that the talks were advancing so slowly and Davis's message was that the government has a determined exercise underway to be ready for the worst if the talks fail. Not because it's what we seek, he said, but because it needs to be done. None of which sounds particularly reassuring. So, with me to dissect the past week's events and figure out whether anything looks like moving anytime remotely soon are The Guardian's own duo of perhaps, perhaps not increasingly desperate Dan's, Brexit policy editor Dan Roberts and Brussels bureau chief Dan Boffy. Dan Boffy, if I can come to you first... You know, I mean, there was quite a lot of optimism around, wasn't there, last week after Theresa May's Florence speech and the concessions it was seen as making. 
So these were really pretty tough words from Juncker and Barnier and Co. Particularly, perhaps Juncker's on the fact that speeches, once again, speeches are not negotiating positions. He said, and the EU really expects to get some kind of detailed content pretty soon now from the UK. So the first question, I guess, I mean, I mean, you know, formally, obviously, we know it's a decision for the European Council at their summit on October the nineteenth, the twentieth. But I mean, there really seems no way now that the talks can move on to talk about trade as as Britain wants at the end of the month, does there? No, I don't think there's any uh, possibility really of things moving at the next European Council meeting, which is on the the nineteenth and the twentieth of October. But there is definitely movement in the capitals. Uh, they feel much more warm towards Theresa May. And I think actually some of the the anger, the rhetoric you saw in the European Parliament this week is actually a reflection that um, the Commission and the Parliament are just trying to squeeze May as much as they can on, on commitments over the next month or so, mm-hmm. because the capitals are actually very keen to move things on. So yes, October, I don't, I suspect in October we'll have European Council will say, well, well, thank you very much, but no, not sufficient progress yet to move on to trade. However, we would like to maybe talk about, well, I'd like you to explain what the transition period that you requested in the Florence speech, what that is all about, and then we'll come back in December. I think December, I don't think there'll be any doubt, because the capitals are getting a bit frustrated, I think. I think in December, then things will move on. Now, all the, all the rhetoric and the anger is, is slightly theatrical, I think, in the European Parliament. And the European Parliament is used quite a lot by the EU as kind of the, the bad cop to um, to harass and harry uh, Theresa May and her government and sort of show up inconsistencies, inconsistencies in the argument and and demand possibly things that they know they're not going to get. Mm. And I think some of all that, all that theatrics was actually slightly on the commission and uh, the commission side, then just thinking, oh, time is running out for us actually to get commitments we want by December. So I think, I think that was part of what was going on there. So it was pretty much, I mean, you're saying it was Juncker and, uh, and Barnier playing to the, to the parliamentary gallery, really? Yeah, I mean, um, it was an opportunity for Juncker and Barnier uh, to sound quite sort of hard line um, and not necessarily reflecting the, the movements, the tectonic movements that are actually going on. The fact that foreign speech did, did move things. So they sound quite hard line. And you've got the European Parliament with their resolution mm. really kind of very critical of Britain, um, reinforcing some very strong red lines, reinforcing the line which Barnier said, you know, uh, no more, no less than the, the entire the entirety of the commitments that UK made as, um, as a member. Actually, I think, I think, I think in the capitals, they're, they're looking at a compromise. They, that line will shift. I mean, Barnier, Barnier, uh, he's, he's, a, he's essentially a, he's a robot. He's a, <laughs> he will do what the commission, uh, and the EU 27 tell him to do. He has a mandate. It's extremely detailed. Mm. At the moment, his job is to squeeze Britain for as much as possible. So his no more, no less line is what he has to keep on parroting. The compromise will come, I think, not October, but in December when they'll say, okay, well, look, Thank you, Michelle. You've done as you've squeezed them as much as possible. We've got all these commitments. Let's move on now. But he's got to carry on that line until then. I think that's what's going on. Oh, well, that's interesting. I mean, that's quite sounds quite encouraging. Dan uh, Roberts here in London. In that context, quite a lot was made here, and I suppose understandably of of those remarks by Manfred Weber, the, the leading Conservative. German MEP, an ally of, John, of, uh, of Angela Merkel's, of course, that, you know, that Theresa May should sack Johnson because of the Brexit that he wants is plainly different to hers. And his various interventions are just confusing.
losing things. Um, if there's movement happening in the European capitals, as as Dan Boffy is suggesting, is there movement also happening behind the scenes in 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 the UK? Uh, are the Brexiteers falling into line? Well, yes. I mean, behind the bluster, there was a remarkable display of discipline. I thought in uh, Manchester this week, where um, on stage at least the Brexiteers were being forced to toe May's line on the Florence speech. Um, and almost the, the louder the bluster and the more Jacob Rees-Mogg proud the fringe kind of talking of betrayal and the more Boris sort of... Um, As in core uh, and Chrissy uh, and <laughs> Trafalgar. And <laughs> it, you almost felt like they were protesting a bit too much because actually they're, they're doing that to rouse their own base whilst beating a retreat. And we are recording this podcast before Theresa May's own conference mm. speech, so um, events could move quite fast. But I suspect she will stick to the Florence script on Brexit and I suspect that what we will see is um, this continued gradual concessions over um, money and the single market and the ECJ that we've been getting so far from government. So I I agree with Dan. I think the hotheads on both sides are being heard loudest at the moment, but that doesn't mean they're in charge. Um, So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see... Um, whether we do get more um, concessions in time for the October summit. I'm still slightly baffled at this notion that um, uh, the EU can can say that there's not been sufficient progress before we've had the last round of talks. So maybe Dan <laughs> can explain that one to me, because that seems to be suggesting that next week's an entirely waste of time. Um, surely they should at least hear that first and then decide, no? Well, the, the line is kind of, um, we've made insufficient progress as yet. And then Juncker sort of gave this line, unless miracles happen. So they kept open this kind of possibility. Um, uh, essentially, they want Britain to, to uh, deliver a miracle, actually, you know. Yes, it's a high, it's a high, but high negotiating bar. Yeah. I mean, I do think um, that, that the, the there are both sides are in danger, but the hotheads on both sides are in danger of sort of overstating their case. I thought particularly listening to Barnier in the European Parliament debate yesterday set out at length just how much was non-negotiable was quite... Um, hard to hear from the chief negotiator um, because at the end of the day um, uh, uh, he's in danger of sounding like he's not a negotiator like he's he's in danger of sounding like he's a headmaster sort of marking you know what the Brits do and um, uh, you know maybe the Brits don't have any choice but to suck that up but it it doesn't sound great from here but that but Dan Dan Boffy I mean that is a point isn't it I I mean from the EU's perspective at least um, you know is there still a sense that 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 Britain simply has not accepted that there are some lines that uh, that, that Brussels and, and the capitals cannot and will not blur. Um, I, I actually think I think um, just, again, despite all the, the rhetoric, I think the, I think they, the Florence speech really did unlock things in that. Um, if you just listen to Barnier yesterday, he he's not talking anymore about the ECJ overseeing everything in terms of the, um, the agreement on citizens or withdrawal. He's talking about an indispensable role of the ECJ. Hmm. He's actually softening. He's slowly, slightly softening. There, um, there are nuances creeping in. There are. And I, yeah, so I think, um, uh, no, I think both sides are moving together. Um, uh, yeah, I think we could be okay. distracted by all the fireworks, but no, I think there is movement. Okay. Um, Dan Roberts, I'd just like to ask you, in, in, in you know, given that then, how significant 
should we how significant how significant should we see then those remarks from David Davis about the fact that there the government is working hard apparently on an emergency plan for if it all goes wrong. Uh, I mean, how and how and how are, how are Britain's business leaders going to interpret that statement? Well, funnily enough, I mean, I think it's got to the point where that's actually slightly reassuring to hear because it was bad. The, the no deal is better than a bad deal was banded around so loosely um, uh, to, to, as a threat to begin with that it, it a it didn't have a lot of credibility and b it just it it sounded just dangerously cavalier. Now, at least somehow, when the Brexit secretary says we're preparing for the worst, it's somewhat reassuring because you kind of think, well, at least somebody's got some plans you know um i think politically there is still a long way to go for the british government this is going to get harder before it gets better in terms of selling it to those sort of adoring mogites in manchester the trouble is that um not only um um, are we moving um, towards paying a pretty hefty divorce bill? Um, but we're also effectively with this two-year transition acceding to the idea that um, Britain is a rule taker um, uh, for the two years following Brexit. So, and, and they're the two years leading up to the next election uh, uh, during which we're effectively going to be Norway. Everything that, that, that May has said she doesn't like is going to be encapsulated in that transition period. Um, I, I, I think it was uh, David Davis Davis was caught uh, in an interview last night suggesting that maybe some of the trade deals won't really be coming through to fruition until after the next election as well. So despite all this bluster from Liam Fox about swashbuckling Britain rediscovering its uh, imperial glories, um, we won't have much to show for Brexit for many years. And that's going to be a hard sell. It's going to be politically quite delicate. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dan Boffey, in, in, uh, in terms of what we can expect then from the actual talks um uh, as 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 we go uh, as we move on um is it now a question really of just simply of the eu waiting for more concrete contributions from from london and and is are the two what looks at the moment like the most insurmountable obstacles uh, the financial settlement and uh, as you mentioned the, the the role of the european court of justice um are, are they the are they the real the, the two real issues where the eu is expecting movement yeah but those are the two issues um on the money yes i mean uh, it felt very much that the end of the last round it felt very much like they were waiting to get tory conference done with mm. and then davis could talk uh, in in all honesty about about how much the UK is willing to pay. I mean, it's not going to be the full... They're not going to be able to spell out exactly how much the UK, just the areas in terms of liabilities and pension costs and whatever, where the, where, where Britain is kind of now saying, yes, OK, we'll, we'll do something about it. Um, so, yeah, so the EU side are, are waiting for some concrete proposals. I mean, they love their position papers. They'll be hoping for something on that, especially on the on the European Court of Justice. They would like um, uh, Britain to sort of spell out... The, 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 how the indispensable role of the ECJ will be respected, but the ECJ won't be kind of the, the, the all-seeing, all-knowing um, uh, piece of the jigsaw. So that's what they're, they're looking for. Um, uh, and then they can take that um, into the uh, European Council summit. Uh, as I say, I don't think I don't think at that stage, probably because the EU is not ready to talk about trade at the moment. It's a very complicated process for the EU 27 to all agree what the mandate they give to Michel Barnier for the next stage will be. And that takes that takes a while. So the EU's not quite ready. Mm. So I suspect that that'll be pushed back mm. to December. Uh, and then actually, you know, it's post-December. That's when, that's when the problems 
um, that the UK has faced. But it's probably when they, they moved over to the EU. The EU, they always said, it was most likely to split in the second phase when they talk about trade mm. because um, they all want the money. They wanted to get that sorted. But on trade, they've all got different kind of agendas. You know, the, the French will say, well, and no, different no, national no. interests. Yeah. Yes, they've all got national And that's where you're going to have divisions. Right, right. Um, just one f- final, I mean, might be a minor point, I'm not sure, but Barnier seemed to make quite a point in his speech to the European Parliament of uh, what he called this discriminatory treatment against EU nationals by the Home Office in the UK. And he sort of cited that as a reason for needing to have the court, if not overseeing, at least, as you say, having a, you know, a, a, a decisive role in the agreement. Are the actions of the Home Office actively damaging Britain's position in the eyes of the EU, do you think? Um, I, I think that was him saying, well, it's great that Britain has going to have direct effect. That's why we need it so much. Sorry, by direct effect, just explain what direct effect means. Sorry, direct is so that um, the Parliament wouldn't need to enact the citizens' rights legislation. It would just immediately be transposed into UK law. Because and it was so part the of Parliament the treaty, would, basically. Or part yes, of the exactly. Yeah. 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 And therefore, Parliament wouldn't be able over time to weaken... Hmm. weaken the uh, legislation just be there and the courts would have to that's that's uk law um so i think it was just him saying that's why we needed that so that's great um i think he's using i mean they're quite cynical really they're using the stories around the home office um to to make this point i think it's what's going on right okay well i mean all this is beginning to sound reasonably um optimistic certainly from from brussels dan roberts let's just wind up with you uh, or at least with this question um is there a risk, do you think, that uh, the, the domestic political situation in the UK it will, will, will deteriorate to such an extent that, you know, the, the government is sim- simply feels itself driven into a corner? Well, they're certainly walking a tightrope. I mean, I think what was really apparent in Manchester is there are a series of fire breaks within the Tory party for when things get really um, uh, awkward and embarrassing and they have to climb down um, and eat humble pie to mix about seven different metaphors. Excuse <laughs> me. Um, I, I, I was at a party with David Davis on Sunday night. It was the 1922 committee, which is the backbench MPs having a drinks reception. May was there earlier on. They sang her happy birthday. David Davis slunk in towards the end with Rhys Mogg um, looking um, slightly worse for wear I think like many of us he'd been uh, uh, partaking of the Manchester uh, um, food and drink on offer Uh, and uh, he told the Sun reportedly um, that evening that uh, he was planning to retire after the Brexit talks that he wouldn't be around afterwards to see the three he'd be passing the baton on to other people I thought it was very interesting given what we've seen in recent days about his civil servants being taken away from him and Mm. returning back to the cabinet office you know he is increasingly looking a bit like a fall guy um, uh, and a firebreak uh, in the way that Dan was just describing perhaps Barnier is that figure too. And, and ultimately, the biggest firebreak in the Tory party is Theresa May. You know, she's on borrowed time too, you know. And I think that it may, we, we may well see the biggest concessions from her shortly before she steps down because whoever takes on from, over from her will not want to be the one with the, who's remembered for paying all the money or giving mm. up all the compromises. Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, Dan Boffy is the is the. I mean, Geef Hofstadt, who who we know, you know, is 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 fond of the declaratory statement. Had some uh, some very harsh words on on British government unity and clarity. Uh, yeah. I mean, in, 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 does does Brussels worry? Is is that one of Brussels' worries that the, the British government may simply not be in a position to play a, a, a you know a, a, its role in the negotiations? Yeah, no, absolutely. Ever since the general election, they've been worried about it. I mean, uh, we. I wrote before the before the general election. Juncker was sort of imploring Theresa May to hold the general election because he thought even then, with her slim majority, she was in a weakened position that the government should be sort of beholden to the Brexiteers, then the government could collapse. So he wanted a general election. He wanted a thumping majority so Theresa May wouldn't be beholden to these people. And and lo and behold, it's all gone a bit um, pear shaped. Mm. And yes, they are very worried. Um, I mean, that's why. There's lots of reasons why, but one of the reasons they want these position papers at least kind of nailed down. Um, there it is in writing what the British government position is. They're concerned constantly that this government could fall, and um, can they trust Theresa May's word? Because you know there's so many different voices, and it could fall, and it could be a different prime minister next week, or whatever. Who would change the UK's position completely? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, Brilliant. Jeremy Cole. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Well, yes, that's for another. That's I think is for another episode. Uh, I think we'll call that a day uh, for this week. Uh, thank you both very much. Um, yeah, thanks to both of the Dans. Um, feeling perhaps a little bit less desperate uh, than we have been recently. Um, next week, then, we're going to take a long, hard look at exactly where the UK's two main political parties, Conservatives and Labour, stand on Brexit after their respective party conferences. So if you have any questions about that, do please email us at brexitmeans, that's all one word, brexitmeans at the Guardian. Com. Please subscribe, uh, review on all your favourite podcatchers, join the discussion on Twitter, just search for Guardian Podcasts. Till next week then, I'm John Henley, the producer was Rowan Slaney, this was Brexit Means, and thank you all very much for listening. For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts. 